I appreciate so much the, the prayer. Uh, scripture says that uh, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And I, br brethren, I have not slept much for the last two nights. So uh, uh, I came this morning sort of foggy in my mind, but the Lord has graciously cleared it a little bit, I think. So uh, if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and I would... I will do what one of the, one of the, I don't remember which Puritan it was. One of the Puritans, would, they said he would tell people what he was going to say, and then he would say it, and then he would tell them what he said again, you know. Well, I'm going to do not quite that today. I want to tell you about two occasions. I, I want us to review what we see in Ephesians chapter 1, the scripture that we just heard read, uh, tell, uh, has Paul saying to the Ephesian Christians, for this reason, well, the reason has to be preceding that in verses 1 to 14, so for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So what we're going to do, God willing, is we're going to review in a very, really superficial way, but I hope a good way, verses 1 to 14 of Ephesians chapter 1 today. And then I want to raise three questions. Who, what, and when, all right? And we're talking about this in the context of assurance. Let me read to you again what the, uh, what the second chapter of the statement in the, uh, 16, in the 1689 says. This certainty, talking about the certainty, having a certainty of assurance, this certainty is not a bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope but an infallible assurance of faith founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel. And then he goes on to say, and also upon the inward evidences of those graces of the Spirit under which promises are made, and on the testimony of the Spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we're the children of God, and as a fruit thereof, keeping the heart both humble and holy. But let me go back to that phrase again. But an infallible assurance of faith founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel. I've always been an objective sort of fellow. If you permit me those words, objective, subjective. I was a seminary student in New Orleans many, many years ago. And there was a course that was being taught called Christian Ministry and Field Education. It was one of those team-taught courses that everybody had to take. The idea was to give the preachers 
and the religious education people and the music people a common experience so that they would all just love one another dearly, you know, and so they would throw them into these courses that were horrible courses. I mean, they, they, they had so little content, they were just vacuous in their content, and there would be uh, three or four professors that would have to teach this, and they didn't want to be there either, so we came to the end of the semester. You know what students always want to know at the end of the semester? What's going to be on the exam, right? So they all came hoping to find out what was going to be on the exam. And Dr. Ray Frank Robbins, some of you remember him, was, uh, he, was he was up there in the front, and uh, he was bored, I think, too. But he said, are there any questions? And, of course, I'm sure there were a lot of people that wanted to say what's going to be on the exam. One little fellow raised his hand. It was, it was in that chapel up on the front of the campus. that He raised his hand, and he said, he said, look, the name of this is Christian Ministry and Field Education. And he said, that must have something to do with witnessing. And nobody's talked about witnessing at all in this course. And he said, uh, how do you witness? And so Dr. Robbins said, he said, well, he said, you know, he said, I, was, uh, I went through seminary, got my doctorate and all that. And uh, he said then, I think he taught in a college somewhere maybe. And he said, then I came to New Orleans. He said, I really didn't know how to witness until I came to New Orleans. And I went out with a man from our church and we started visiting people. And here was his method. He said, we'd go up, we'd knock on the door. Somebody would come to the door and we would say, and the man would say, uh, hi, I'm Sam Smith or whatever his name was. Let me tell you about how the Lord has changed my life. And uh, so, uh, so he said that the door would slam sometimes or sometimes they would say, well, I'm not really, you know, interested in hearing what you have to say. But he said, well, please, just let me, give me a few minutes to let me tell you about how the Lord has changed my life. And so it went on like this. And, and so at that point, I raised my hand. I was sitting back toward the back. I was a seminary student at the time. I, I raised my hand. Always had a good relationship with Dr. Robbins, but I think he enjoyed me more for the debate than anything else, you know. And, and so, so anyway, I raised my hand, and he said, Joe, what, 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 what is it? I said, wait a minute, I thought that witnessing was preaching the gospel, and I thought the gospel was not about us and our experience, but about the Lord Jesus Christ and his experience. And so he pulled his glasses down like this and looked over them, and he said, Joe, when were you saved? And for some reason, it just blurted out. I said, I was saved 2,000 years ago at 3 o'clock in the afternoon just outside the city gates of Jerusalem. And he said, oh, you're one of those. <laughs> so, so anyway, the rest of the time in that class, we went back and forth, objective, subjective, objective, subjective on the atonement. And they didn't find out what was, they got, all the students got mad with Dr. Robbins and me because they didn't find out what was going to be on the exam. The rest of the day, 
we would sometimes meet on the campus, and uh, there was a denominational servant, I, I guess I shouldn't call his name, but a denominational servant that kept trying to explain to us that we were saying precisely the same thing. And Dr. Robbins would say, no, Joe's saying one thing, I'm saying something different, you know. But you understand that it, the priority, I understand we are to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. I understand, as I read from the confession just a moment ago, that there is that internal work of the Holy Spirit and all of that. But at the same time, I think the priority needs, when we're dealing with people pastorally, with the question of assurance, that the priority really ought to be to point them to realities outside themselves. Point them to uh, what our God has done. We've heard some good preaching uh, so far in this conference and a great emphasis upon thus spake the Lord. Uh, that's objective too. You see, pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. I had a friend, have a friend, who uh, says I led him to the Lord a long, long time ago. He had been catechized in the old Congregationalist churches up north. He was from upstate New York. We met in the army. We would go visit in the evening after we ate in my office, I, back from Vietnam, and it was this in the Washington, D.C. area, and he would just ask me questions, and I would answer the questions. He was not converted. He was catechized, but not converted. And one day, one day he told me, he said, I went into the barracks there, and he said, I just told the Lord. He said, Lord, I am not right with you. And I need to get right with you. And he got right with the Lord and came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I took him to my pastor at the time, A.W. Jackson at Cherrydale Baptist Church in Arlington, Virginia, who was uh, reformed in his soteriology and a, a, a really good Bible expositor. And so, uh, you know, I just thought Tom needed to talk to him. So I took him there. We sat down. And he opened the Bible to Romans chapter 10 and gave it to Tom and let Tom start reading it. And he read quite a bit of the passage and finally the pastor looked at him and said, Tom, how do you know that you are a Christian? How do you know that you are saved? And there was a pause and I wondered what Tom was going to say at that point. And there was a pause. And this is a man who already had, a, he was an electrical engineer, Purdue guy, intelligent guy. And I wondered what was about to come out. And all of a sudden, his face just lit up. And he said, I'm a Christian. I'm saved because God says so. Now, that's it. That's what we've been talking about in this conference so far. I want to do something like that with you for just a few moments. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, and let's look at a passage that we can use pastorally with people who need to be pointed to certain truths. Paul, again, said to them, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And he says that 
uh, he wanted them to have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of the Lord. So what do we see here? Well, all right, first of all, look at the first verse. There is assurance, certainly, in learning about the fact that we are saints. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, you know that the Old Testament word kadosh means literally to be separated. And so we are people who have been separated to the purposes of God, to grace, to the purposes of God, to salvation. Who did that? Obviously, the Lord did that. Then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time the Apostle Paul has his salutation for an epistle, it's grace and peace, grace and peace, except with First and Second Timothy, and he puts mercy in the middle there, grace, mercy, and peace. But he always mentions grace, and he always mentions peace. Well, what is grace? You know, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. If you were, if you were taught as I was when I was a boy, grace is what? The unmerited favor of God. Grace is the unmerited favor of God revealed to us in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that's not about what we do that's, or what we even think. That's about what the Lord has done for us, his graciousness toward undeserving sinners. So grace to you, uh, the word grace certainly encourages assurance. Peace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, you fellows know you're... Your scholars, you know that the Old Testament word shalom doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It does mean the absence of conflict, but it means more than that. It means wholeness of life, fullness of life. And so all of that has come to us in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What did you do to achieve that? Well, nothing. This is the gift of God because it's coupled here by Paul with the grace of God, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then look at verse 3. In verse 3 we learn that there is reason to be assured because of the electing work of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So here is the work of the Father. What did he do? He chose us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He chose a people for their good and for his eternal glory. He chose us in him, and when did he do this? Before the foundation of the world, with his purpose being our holiness and blamelessness, ultimately that we might be holy and blameless before him. That certainly ought to encourage assurance as well. The next word is adoption. Look at verse 4, the very end of the verse, in love, the self-sacrificing love of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the self-sacrificing love that always existed within the persons of the Godhead, the Father for the Son for the Holy Spirit, that self-sacrificing love that was manifested at the cross. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So this brings us into what? The family of God. Our brother was talking, uh, our brother Jeff was talking last night about how the, how the man comes to his father and he says, I'll just ask him if I can be a servant. But he said, no, you're not going to be a servant. You are a member of this family. We are not merely craven servants before the Lord. We are the servants of the Lord, praise God. But we're not merely craven servants before the Lord. We have been actually adopted into the family of God. That ought to be a blessing assurance as well. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. And then here's another one in verse 7 as we move into the part of the passage that deals with the work of the son. In him we have Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So we have redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, let's go back and remember the Old Testament background of this. When the Israelites wanted to talk about coming out of Egypt and what that meant to them, what did they say? The Lord, the psalmist, what did they say? The Lord has redeemed his people. He paid the price. He did what was necessary to bring Pharaoh down so that uh, he couldn't keep them captive there. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ has done a lot more than that. In the Gospel of John, John chapter 12, there's that time when the heavenly voice rings out and uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, he says, Father, glorify thy name. He says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the Lord Jesus in that context says this. He talks about being lifted up on the cross of Calvary. And he says in doing that, and he's talking about his death, obviously he says that he will draw all people of every race and tribe and nation to himself. So we have a redemption, but our redemption sets us free because of the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our redemption sets us free from sin and death and hell and every force opposed to God and man. So there's another one. That certainly is a reassuring thing, I think, to be taught and to begin to understand. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We have to learn these things. We need to learn these things. We will be strengthened as we learn these things. We feast on the Lord Jesus Christ and we grow in the grace of God. So we are saints. We are the beneficiaries of the grace of God. We are at peace with God. We are the elect of God. We are adopted into the family of God and by the victory of the cross 
we, our sins are taken away, our sins are pardoned, and we stand before, even better than that, we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, not just as forgiven sinners, but as people to whom the grace of God has been imputed so that it can be said that we stand justified before him. We stand without any sin at all because we're standing in the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What an assuring thought that is which he lavished upon us with all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Now we're talking about a cosmic purpose of God, that there is a cosmic purpose of God that's being worked out in all this. This is not something that just happened accidentally. It is a cosmic purpose of God which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to do what? To unite all things in him, in Christ. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, I, I think that when Paul introduces the word peace back in verse 2 with a salutation, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And he's talking about the wholeness uh, all that that means, the blessedness of that life of peace that comes. I think that he's talking primarily about this, that the Lord is moving us toward that time when all things are brought together, united uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And then look at verse 11, verse 11 and following. Uh, we can have a, a great assurance because of what awaits us in heaven, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we have all these things in the Lord Jesus Christ that come to us because of the grace of God. Now let's go on to my three questions. I like to ask people this, if I'm doing a Bible study, particularly uh, initiating a Bible study with people, uh, I like to work them through this because I think it gets people thinking, who, let's ask that question, all right, who, the Father, what did the Father do, so who, the Father, what did the Father do, he chose a people for himself, didn't he, he chose us, when did the Father choose that people before the foundation of the world? Uh, exactly what part did you play in that? Now, I wasn't there. You weren't there. So the Father chose a people, and when did he do it? Before the foundation of the world. Let's raise the question again. Who because this is a Trinitarian passage, isn't it? It's all about the work of the Father, the work of the Son, 
the work of the Holy Spirit. Who, the Son, what did he do? He died on the cross for us to save us, to make atonement for our sins. When did he do it? When? 2,000 years ago in the history of the world, in time and space, in the history of this world. And then we might ask, who, again, the Holy Spirit, all right, what did the Holy Spirit do? He sealed us. He brings us into union with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are brought to salvation. The new birth comes to us. We're born again by the power of God. As, uh, uh, as Wesley said, uh, my chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. So the Holy Spirit comes. And he comes and vivifies us. We're lying dead in trespasses and sins. He comes and vivifies us. And when did he do this? In your experience and my experience, whenever we heard the word and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, were you there with the Father when the Father chose the people for his eternal glory? No. Uh, were we there with the son when he died on the cross of Calvary? Well, we sing, you know, the spiritual, were you there when they crucified? Well, what we're talking about, of course, is coming into union with the Lord Jesus Christ and the benefits of that. But we weren't there. We're here 2,000 years later, again, in time and in space. But someone might say, well, but after all, I believed. That was my part. I believed. And so that was my contribution. There was a, a very famous pastor. Again, I don't think I even now he's gone on, but I, I don't think I will use his name. But he was well known, very well known, especially among Southern Baptists. And he used to give this illustration. He would say, he would say, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has done everything that he can possibly do. He died on the cross. He shed his life. He's done everything that he could possibly do to save you, to make salvation possible for you. He said, now, the devil, he's over here, and he's doing everything that he can possibly do to keep you from coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, now it's up to you. Which way are you going to go? Are you going to choose Christ? Are you going to choose Satan? You know, the Lord has done everything he could possibly do. No. What big, strong, powerful human being that you are, which way are you? You're, you have the sovereignty. Which way are you going to go? And you know what the end result of that was. And it gives people a notion, you know, that, well, that I did. It was God and me in cooperation. Let me tell you something, folks. If I have to base my assurance on myself and what I see in me, there's no assurance. If I have to base my assurance on even God 
and my cooperation, there's no assurance. But if I can say the Father chose us, the Son atoned for us, and the Holy Spirit vivifies us, then I can say, praise God, salvation is from the Lord, may be praised. Let's stand, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we praise you, we laud your most holy name. When we think about the freeness of grace and about the glories of the salvation that you've accomplished for us. Lord, cause our hearts to burn with appreciation for all that you've done, that we might thank you in this life and then, Lord, eternally, for we pray it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.